0: Hello there. Good morning, good day, good evening, wellnessman listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today on Wellnessman Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we are on a mission to help women across the world find natural health solutions to learn, to discover and to grow holistic health knowledge. So today's episode is actually something we probably should have got to a long time ago considering the implications of uh, how serious this is and how many people it's affecting. But interestingly, um, recently we're reading some research and studies on this and it just kind of brought to light the gravity of the situation. So Today, we're going to have a, I guess, a chat about diabetes type 2, uh, which was formerly called non-insulin-dependent diabetes, and for good reason. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about what diabetes is, who's at risk, some of the things that, you know, you could do to help change, reverse, prevent type 2 diabetes, and of course, uh, what to do. I think what to do if you or a family member is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Mm. This is a, such an interesting topic because it's definitely something
1: that I didn't realize that we hadn't covered as well. Mm. I think that we've, we've looked at, you know, insulin resistance and leptin resistance and a whole bunch of other things, but not specifically type 2 diabetes. And I uh, actually mentioned that it used to be called non-insulin-dependent diabetes. It used to also be called adult-onset diabetes. Mm. Um, but they had to change the name of it because kids were getting it. And I think that this is one of the scariest things about this, and that's what really sparked us to do the episode tonight was because there I've just read a recent news article that that came out saying that Type two diabetes in Australia, um, and it's not just specific to Australia. This is certainly worldwide. Um, and Ash has got some amazing stats on this that she can go through in a second, but just essentially, this is it's a growing epidemic. They're calling it Australia's national plague, um, and the fact that the risk or or the incidence of type two diabetes has doubled in the last two decades um and now it's affecting kids so preschoolers are getting type two diabetes it's just just unconscionable um, and it's you know a consequence of obesity and this is what the study was showing and they had um they used an example of a nine-year-old boy that was 180 kilos yeah like I- a- can't just even imagine. It blows my mind. Mm. Um, anyway, Ash,
0: talk to me about stats. <laughs> stats <please. laughs> oh, look, you know, because I think it's um, it's so, for me, the reason I turn to stats when it comes to topics like this is to try and put into a perspective and context because it can all sound so very serious, um, but then all of a sudden you start to see some numbers and you go, oh, that's what we're dealing with. You know, when you hear something saying it's one in 10, it may not sound so grave to you. Like if you're listening thinking, well, it's not such a big deal, but it is a really big deal because worldwide that's talking about, I guess, the economic burden. It's $1.3 trillion in terms of medical and indirect costs related to diabetes, which is extraordinary and this is straight out of the lancet um for diabetes and endocrinology which is you know the gold standard in medical publishing so you know these these are some massive numbers which is dictating policy and government uh, decision making because it doesn't just affect people families lives quality of living it affects entire economies of countries uh, because it is such an, a massive financial burden and uh, i think that that's something that really we don't Realize indirectly all of us are paying the costs of diabetes treatment for people we don't even know. Um, Why? Because it falls back through our medical system. It it comes through in our taxes. It's paid out through our health funds. Um, So whether we are looking after ourselves or not, we're paying for it anyway. And so I think the more we can educate people to take proactive choices in their health, then the better chances we are of um, not only just reducing the economic costs, but the social costs of this as well. The fact that we're dealing with children with diabetes is uh, is actually really heartbreaking and I look at my little guy and I just think oh my goodness it's um, it's extraordinary so what is type 2 diabetes it's it's something that you know if you ha- if you've heard of diabetes you straight away probably are starting to think oh it's something to do with pancreas and insulin and and you know like I know it has something to do with that but the question is is diabetes relevant to you and I think Given the fact that it can occur in any household, so there's no discrimination of necessarily age anymore. They used to say it's just like people over 40, um, but now we know that that's not quite the case. It's occurring in young- younger age groups. Um, it's certainly more relevant or prevalent in people with a family history of type 2 diabetes and certain ethnic backgrounds, but it doesn't discriminate. It just basically anyone and everyone who is carrying any form of excess weight is at increased risk of type 2 diabetes. So think of that. How many of us ladies are carrying around a bit of excess weight around our midlines, around our thighs, belly, butt? These are signs of insulin resistance, these are signs that our body is not dealing with uh, the foods we're taking in appropriately. And of course, these are signs that we could also be at risk of type two diabetes. So I know I sort of <laughs> got after baby and went, looked in the mirror and went, oh gosh, there's a bit of, you know, extra bulge in places I don't want. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you say, okay, well, that's That's not necessarily it. We're talking about chronic bad choices. And so, ladies, you know, if it's just something like you've just had a baby, please don't stress and suddenly start looking in the mirror and freaking out about type 2 diabetes. Um, What we're talking about is chronicity, so chronic bad, poor choices, I'm going to say, not bad, just poor choices, certainly related to diet, exercise, and lifestyle. Um, And so type 2 diabetes is the most common form of type Of diabetes. Um, Mm. You'll probably have heard of type 1 diabetes. Now that's an insulin resistance diabetes, which is to some nature an autoimmune disease. Um, And so because of that, it's not at this stage considered a preventable type of diabetes. Um, It's more to do with genetic components and uh, certain sensitivities. So right now we're focusing on type 2 uh, and this is insulin resistance caused basically saying that your diet is not being handled appropriately and your body can't keep up with the amount of sugars uh, that are being converted throughout your body. And I think, Andrea, you can probably detail that a little bit, bit better for me. My brain's just gone fudgy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> fudgy! Oh my god, fudgy! That's hilarious. It's particularly, um, so relevant to talk about.
0: I'm just like, maybe in. I'm crashing after dinner. Is this is this oh, an insulin oh, handling issue? <laughs> that's so funny. I think
1: it's more of a um, you time know, day. day handling issue more than anything. Um, uh, but I just quickly, and we just talked about um, this before we came on air, is that in the U.S., um, the statistics are that 10% of their population has already been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, but 30% Mm. is pre-diabetic, so they have insulin resistance, um, which is just bloody um, mind-boggling how a third of the entire population has insulin resistance. And those statistics also line up with the number of the population that also has polycystic ovarian syndrome as well in the US. So a third of the women. Um, And so we know that those two go hand in hand, but we're not going to go into that today. Um, So when we have insulin resistance, so insulin is uh, just think of it like your storage hormone. It does some really, really essential things. And I'll run through that in a minute. But when we have insulin resistance, essentially your cells become numb to or they burn out to the because of the amount of glucose in your blood. So you can be eating a Mars bar and instead of your body being able to use the sugar or the glucose in that to move it into your cell to use as energy, which is what we think that we should be able to do with that, when you have insulin resistance, it's like putting the right key in the wrong lock. So you cannot move that into the cell so your body will store it. And this is probably one of the um, most overt or outward signs of that insulin resistance is that increased like body composition. So anyone with a BMI over 25 needs to start thinking pretty seriously about this to see if they have any other risk factors or any other signs. So it might be that belly fat. Um, and I think it's Dr. J- uh, Doctor um, Mark Hyman, um, who has, I'm fairly sure it's him, who talks about that if you want to understand whether or not you've got a blood sugar problem or an insulin problem, this is the test that you do. You stand in front of the mirror with your shirt off, you jump up and down. If your belly moves, like if it, if it jiggles or wobbles, then you've got problems with blood sugar regulation. Um, now, of course, this does not apply to our mums who, or our, our ladies who have just had babies. You're supposed to have loose skin there. It's supposed to be there. But you will know the difference. Um, there are some, and I want to try and keep this relevant to our audience as well because I know that a lot of um, our listeners are pretty amazing in terms of they're probably on the the higher end of of health. I, I, I guess if there is a higher end of health, they're, they're usually more switched on, they're usually more proactive in their health, and I don't think that they would be fitting into or hopefully not fitting into this uh, category of being in the risk factors for diabetes. But I just think it's so important to be able to pay attention to this, to be able to identify it because I don't want any of this happening to my community or any of the people that I'm taking care of. Um, So it's just such an important thing to talk about. So let's look at some other things that you might wanna recognize if you think you have problems with blood sugar. So like we said, it's a BMI over 25, it's the belly fat, it's the sugar cravings, it's the poor blood sugar regulation. Um, It might mean that you are hungry quite soon after eating. You might um, be binging in the evenings as well. So you'll be coming home and you'll literally just be standing in front of the fridge until you until you go to bed. Um, you might be craving things that have that really fast breakdown into, you know, your, your blood sugar. So it might be fruit juices, um, soft drinks, sodas, those sorts of things. Um, for women in menopause as well, if they get that menopausal weight gain, this is a pretty sure sign of blood sugar dysregulation uh, and also the fat when you get that fat distribution um, in your triceps muscles or the backs of your arms and as well as elevated triglycerides on blood tests too. But we might talk about um, testing shortly. But ultimately, people who are at risk of diabetes or have diabetes have lost their ability or their metabolic capacity to handle carbohydrates And, you know, carbohydrates is obviously, you know, sugars as well. Um, But just like someone who is a celiac has lost their capacity to deal with gluten, it's the same thing. These patients have lost their ability to handle metabolically carbohydrates. Um, And the flow-on effect from that is actually really scary. So there's a whole bunch of things that can also happen when you have diabetes. So it can be nerve damage. Um, or what we call neuropathies. Um, so usually this starts in the, in the limbs. Uh, you can get diabetic retinopathies, which is where they have eye and vision problems. It increases your risk for heart attacks, coronary artery disease, um, vascular diseases, kidney failure. Um, they definitely have impaired immunity as well, so they'll get really frequent infections. They might get ulcers. And then I think one of the, the most scary things is that it increases their risk of amputations Two. Mm. Now, I know that that might sound like fairly far-fetched, but I was actually talking to a colleague of mine about, um, you know, diabetes and the fact that we're going to do a podcast on it. And she was saying that one of her patients actually works for a diabetes, diabetes clinic and they have people come in every day having their feet or their um, like digits. So maybe their toes or their fingers amputated because they cannot put down the sugar or the processed carbohydrates. And they cannot change their lifestyle. Mm. So you tell me that sugar is not a drug and not as addictive as some of those really hard drugs. Like these people are being shown what their life is going to be like if they don't do that. And they literally walk out of the clinic and pick up a can of Coke.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, just shows you that fixation. The studies, you know, done with mice that indicated that um, sugar is as addictive as cocaine is just so relevant in this situation that shows you that the only way to deal with it is to take a, you know, a very hard line approach to change. And that really comes down to having a, a radical shift. And that's interesting because there was um a study done by the Newcastle University, so UK, not Australia, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about um, because of these soaring incidence of type 2 diabetes, uh, particularly in relation to OPDM, the obesity epidemic, they ran a study and essentially they collected uh, a total of 298 people, I think it is, in the study that were directly referred to, yeah, 298 um, referred to from primary care practices in Scotland and Tyneside. And the patients were split into control groups um, and one of those groups received a very strict calorie controlled diet. And it was super interesting because they did the diet, obviously a daily diet for three to five months. And then they did a gentle reintroduction of food over two to eight weeks uh, just to allow for the, you know, bringing it into a more sustainable lifestyle uh, diet approach. And it was extraordinary because what it proved and confirmed that the findings were that type 2 diabetes, even someone who had it for up to six years, could be put into full remission. And therefore it's feasible. Yeah, it's feasible to consider diet alone, because they always talk about diet, exercise, and everything, but they're saying diet alone, and obviously exercise is functional for very other many health benefits, but diet alone um, is extraordinary. So that was amazing because, you know, like someone who had had a dysfunctional pancreas um, and insulin handling had fully reversed that and the findings were just flabbergasting, like just incredible. So I think, you know, when they start to look at this as an approach, the biggest challenge obviously is keeping people on that strict diet for the period of time needed yeah. to reverse the damage in the body. But uh, the fact that diabetes type 2 has quadrupled over the last 30 years uh shows you this is an incredibly pressing and very relevant topic to make sure that uh, you know, if it's not just for us but our family and our children understand the needs of our bodies, uh, understand the damage that high-calorie, poor, well, high-glycemic index foods is doing to our body on a daily basis. And just because you take it, you know, a couple of times a week over every week for the rest of your life is really what it's setting up to. You don't have to have a high-sugar diet every day of the week. It's just enough, often enough, to damage your insulin handling response.
1: Oh, man, it's I find it quite scary. And if you want a real eye-opener – All you need to do is go outside and just look at the people around you in your community. And what you will see is that our bodies are completely different now to what they were like, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Our diet and our lifestyle is also very, very different. And we know that that's a factor, but... Most people are overweight these days, mm. and i'm not I'm not saying that most people are obese, but if you really have a good look around, most people are carrying a lot more weight than what they should be um, and yeah, if we know that diabetes is a consequence of that
0: oh, as we're just well. we're just saving ourselves from the ice age. you know if we we store up enough we'll <laughs> we'll survive the ice age. Is that the uh, global global approach? <laughs> must be must be <laughs> we'll save ourselves from something is not hilarious uh, um, yeah. but. but- Isn't it amazing that diabetes
1: is Absolutely
0: reversible. Yeah, that's and- just so cool. And it, it corresponds with a lot. Now, how interesting this, this is run through a university, but how many of the people we admire um have been called hacks and charlatans and, you know, Fruit Loops and Crazies because they've been advocating for this stuff over the last 40, 50 years in some cases, you know, there's career advocates for dietary lifestyle changes. They've been hounded and slammed and wow. called nut jobs. And here we are finally saying, oh, well, actually we can reverse it. And this has really been in the face of medical advice when, you know, before it used to be – A slightly different I'll lose some weight and do this and now they're saying no 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 you're right that radical approach that you were advocating for it actually works it actually reverses it in a relatively short period of time how incredible is that so yeah big high (laughs) fives to all those people who've been uh, pushing uphill for so long I think this vindicates all the hard work and all the uh, consistent I guess pressure you've come up against in the medical community to keep talking you know your truth so thank you so much for trailblazing for so long and finally hopefully it's these sorts of studies that say, yes, you're right. It's time to change. It's time to save the planet from itself.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay. So let's,
1: let's go into that. So what is the best type of diet for blood sugar regulation? And if they do have diabetes, um, and th- this is obviously very far away from what the standard, you know, American or standard Australian diet might look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I think it might go in the face of probably what a lot of the diabetes, maybe associations particularly advocate for as well. And we know this because we have patients who will take their, you know, glucose levels, pre and post meals and see how they skyrocket Mm. after certain recommendations or see how they balance out. Um, And, you know, you just have to ask the patients or you just have to test it to see what the results are. It's, you know, it speaks for itself. But um, I think that, you know, we, we try not to promote one particular diet except for whole food eating, you know, like natural, whole foods, seasonal, local, as much as physically possible. But this is one topic where the paleo type lifestyle or the paleo type eating has been shown to be so, so beneficial Mm. and has absolutely been shown to improve insulin sensitivity, um, there was an article that came out last year that said that red meat consumption increased your risk of diabetes, and there there was definitely, you know, compelling evidence that, that showed that. However, I'm also wondering if that was um, an associative factor. So it was a confounding or, you know, just it was not necessarily causation. It was more correlation because people who, maybe who consume more red meat um, might have other like less healthful lifestyle practices that they do as well. So yeah, maybe but, they also have high levels of sugar and those sorts of things. Oh,
0: I certainly get challenged by that too, Andrew, because they didn't quantify or qualify whether that rate made what source was it from? You know, if you're if you're eating dead sick cows, you're going to be a, a sick human on the way to death sooner. Like that's kind of like just how it works. Um yeah. so they certainly have a That quali- sounds quite graphic, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> but that's it. You know, so we need to you know be careful about taking studies as, I guess, the word for word for what they say because unless you can qualify something in a way that makes sense of the data and information – all statistics can be skewed in the direction you want them to pretty much. Um, but this is yeah, why I love exactly. this study done by this team so much because they did do the control study and calorie restriction is very black and white. <laughs> that's how many calories you take. Yeah. That's how many calories you consume. You know, body weight factors involved and then it's percentage, proportion, body weight, and that weight loss reduction. And, you know, within six months, extraordinary. So you mentioned the Paleo style diet, which is, uh exactly what they advocate and i think you know the big one there is just dealing with sugar <laughs> it's yeah. it's a really no brainer it's dealing with refined sugar anything that can cause extreme elevations in blood glucose um even though sometimes we we just think oh yeah but it's only a bit of honey or um I love my pancakes and I drown them with maple syrup, but these are things that absolutely affect your body's ability to handle uh, insulin well. So I think, you know, ladies, if you are drawn towards sugar, if you crave sugar, if you feel like you need sugar, there is an issue there and it's something that needs to be considered. And it's also why I loved Sarah Wilson's work so much when she really had this big push. I quit sugar was her movement. Um, Mm -hmm. And it made so much sense because suddenly people who were were having serious medical diagnoses were able to change those just by a simple protocol of quitting sugar. Now, that is so cool. So if it's nothing else, it's just that that movement towards quitting sugar. Um, But, of course, anything that causes inflammation in the body also has the capacity to precipitate type 2 diabetes. So inflammation can stem from consuming things like grains, um, consuming things like conventional cow's milk, cow's dairy, uh, alcohol. There's a lot of things that can trigger inflammation in the body. So let's talk about, say, why do paleo diets cut out grains? Predominantly because of gluten, yeah? Yeah,
1: and I think that the reason why the paleo diet is really good for like, if someone who does have this poor blood sugar or insulin control is because it is very low grains. If any, um, it's protein, good quality protein, uh, healthy levels of fat and stacks of veggies. Mm. And it's just sensible and people feel full from their meals. Um, They don't crave sugar. They have good leptin um, control. And we know that that also helps to regulate a whole bunch of other things as well, which is awesome. So it kind of has that anti-insulin resistant type effect now you can have a paleo type lifestyle and still not necessarily consume red meat so you might prefer to do that with maybe just white meat chicken or fish um, or you could certainly do it from like you know a vegetarian type uh, protocol as well it doesn't have to be you know it's a paleo diet is not all about just eating stacks and stacks of meat that um, if you're doing that it's definitely missed the point but ash i love what you said just digressing a little bit about how oh a little bit of honey here or maybe some maple syrup on my pancakes and you know it's all natural sugars. Um, I, I think that w- when you're fixated on this and when you start to like get a bit antsy if someone says to you, "I'll oh, just give up your medjool dates that you're eating every afternoon at three or four o'clock," and they're mm. like looking at you like you've got two heads. Remember that still is going to spike your blood sugar levels. The same with someone who's having fruit with every meal. So remember, it's the things that are going to give you that poor insulin handling and I think that probably one thing that's changed over the last sort of decades as well as our diet is actually our resting blood sugar levels so or our um, you know resting glucose levels I think that they have been trending upwards
0: so we're eating too often snacking too often we're actually not uh, (laughs) allowing our body time to digest, rest, process, and uh, actually find neutral ground of handling. I think constant snacking is constantly initiating the cascade of, uh, you know, consumption, which is starting everywhere from salivation in the mouth all the way down the gut chain. Um, mm-hmm. So, of course, we're, we're also tipping the balance there by, I think, this idea of, of eating frequently. There's certainly good science to suggest that um, three main meals and an appropriate fasting between the third meal and the first, usually dinner to breakfast, is certainly good at resetting insulin handling. So, um, awesome. la- yeah, So ladies, if you're snacking frequently or you're doing, you know, eight small meals a day um, because your meals are not sustaining your blood glucose levels across the day, then we We need to consider what's in those meals. Exactly. And I think it's
1: Steph Lowe that talks about the fact that you should be able to go five hours Mm. between your meals. Mm. And if you can't, that is a sign that you have that poor glucose handling. Mm. Uh, All right. So maybe we'll just do a quick little review of some supplementation um, that I like to use whenever there's – you know, insulin issues that are going on. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, the caveat with this is, you know, work with someone who knows what they're talking about, um, who, you know, can actually understand what's happening for your body and can prescribe accordingly. But uh, I like to use uh, berberine, but obviously with caution. And they found that berberine was as effective as metformin in patients with type 2 diabetes. So mm-hmm. metformin is obviously, you know, the the brand name. I think it's the brand name. or It's either the brand name or the you know, whatever the brand name. Yep. Yeah. I think it's the brand name for um, the, that they use for type two diabetes and metformin is a relatively safe drug. However, we don't want to be using pharmaceuticals unless you absolutely have to. So berberine has been shown to be as effective as that. And this was published um, in, you know, the, the uh, metabolism uh, journal if you haven't noticed, it is late at night here for Ash and I. (laughs) So (laughs) if we're slightly less articulate than what we are normally, it is because it's been a massive day for both of us. um, And it's sort of after nine here uh, for us. But anyway, so this was published in the metabolism uh, journal, which is very reputable in terms of endocrinology um, and just showing that the efficacy of berberine in patients with type two diabetes is comparable to that of metformin, which is amazing. Um, I also like to use anything that's going to reduce that inflammation, like what you mentioned, Ash. So, you know fish oils um about a thousand milligrams of epa with a ratio of about 750 to dha because that is so anti-inflammatory but also anti-insulin resistant as well so it's going to improve your insulin sensitivity but it has a great effect on your liver so one thing that you know diabetic patients have in common is that they have that fatty liver as well, and that 's detectable on you know testing too, so anything that help can help process that is going to be beneficial, and that 's where um, you know turmeric comes in as well so it 's a really beautifully popular um, spice or herb that we like to use um, for, again for reducing that inflammation in the liver and um, improving insulin sensitivity uh, so those are just a few off the top of my head. I know that there's others that are amazing, like uh, chromium um, cacao. Uh, what else?
0: Cinnamon. Should... Cinnamon has yep. been uh, found in studies, yep, statistically significant uh, in its effect on the plasma glucose levels. So we definitely know that to replace that need for sweetness, you can really up cinnamon because um, cinnamon's got a great sort of mental effect too. It tastes quite sweet. So when sprinkled on foods that are otherwise not sweet, uh, it gives our brain a little surge of the happies that we get from consuming sweet things and uh, yeah, so that's, that's awesome. certainly a nice one to throw in there i'm a big fan of using like cinnamon allspice nutmeg all of those things in place of sugars because it kind of gives you a sweet surge and uh it's satisfying that must be why so
1: my little favorite go-to is i make like a chai latte at home with Ooh, some um, yeah. some like unsweetened or if i have time homemade almond milk um with some like spot chai spices and then i'll sprinkle cinnamon on the top and yeah, yeah it's amazing and it's totally, satisfying yeah absolutely yeah. um The other thing that is going to be so beneficial to improve your um, insulin sensitivity is weight-bearing exercise. Yes. Um, This has been absolutely proven. So get off your butts and get moving. So weight-bearing exercise, using weights, resistance training, all of those sorts of things uh, helps to reignite your little insulin receptors. So they love that. That's amazing. We want to make sure that we're also getting plenty of fibre which is really helpful for slowing down that glucose excursion after you eat. And it's also obviously amazing for your microbiome, which is going to help with your blood sugar handling too. Um, So we want to make sure that we're eating as close to what we have for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, I guess. Uh, So, you know, it doesn't have to be the paleo diet, but whole foods um, getting off any of the processed carbohydrates and obviously the sugar as well. And that also includes... The things that might be, you know, for some people, honey, fruit, um, you know, maple syrup, medjool dates, anything that is going to give you that quick insulin spike. And I know this is going to make me really unpopular, but having things for breakfast like oats, I know, is such an easy, quick go-to that everybody loves, but they have a relatively high glycemic index, There's no protein in there that is absolutely going to give you a blood sugar spike first thing in the morning. So what I absolutely recommend is start your day with some good quality protein and maybe some veggies and some good fats as well rather than the
0: grains. Cool. Um, yeah, because a lot of people forget that breakfast doesn't have to be cereal. Breakfast can be a frittata. Breakfast can be chia seed puddings. Breakfast can be green smoothies. You know, without all the uh, heavy loads of glycemically high things like bananas, you can do them in lots of different ways. Um, absolutely agree with you there. And I think that, you know, if you're thinking about vegetables as well, just be mindful it's non-starchy veggies. So you got to stay away from your starchy veggies like potatoes um but otherwise yeah if you've got still got lots of options fruits uh can include berries you know they're amazing nut seeds you've got coconut which is incredible um avocados there's just so much and eggs and oh i mean a lot of people think deprivation when they think oh gosh i've got to try and stop diabetes but it's not deprivation it's just whole foods real foods delicious amazing tasty foods um and a good lifestyle like you said get moving Uh, And just if you do want to do
1: some testing, the things that I would recommend looking for would be looking at, obviously, your fasting and random blood glucose levels. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I like to do is hemoglobin A1c. I think it's much more sensitive. Usually when you start to lose your insulin sensitivity, you might have elevated triglycerides. There may be some changes on your liver function testing as well because, um, well, when you are in that diabetic state, you're getting that fatty liver too.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, So, So if you're working with a great GP, I would definitely be checking those things. Um, And just because something might be sitting within like a, you know, quote unquote reference range does not mean that it's optimal. So that's my just little caveat on that there. Um, You can absolutely be using symptoms and your own physical presentation as to whether or not you think that you have a blood sugar handling problem.
0: Hmm perfect so look i think you know what drove us today was to discuss this because the future of the world rests on whether or not we survive (laughs) as a species we're looking at children with you know chronic lifelong disability if they don't Change their lifestyle and diet, uh, sooner than later. And once, you know, limbs are being removed, it's a, it's a tragic, uh, outcome for something that's otherwise very preventable and completely reversible now, as studies are showing. So ladies, will you take the challenge? Will you spread this message around to, you know, friends and family who need it? Um, have you looked in the mirror and realized that you could be at risk or susceptible or already showing some state of prediabetes in sense of your poor sugar handling, uh, Symptoms that are showing. Because if you are, you are amongst the millions of people across the planet. And I think. Time is time to change. Um, now is the best time to change, not 10 years from now when you're showing up with uh, more serious health effects because of the things that it does to the rest of the body, particularly in the states of vascular system and our eyes and our limbs and all the things that it does damage to. So before the damage is, uh, is serious, I would suggest we all look in the mirror and say, okay, today what, uh, what am I going to do, how am I going to eat better and uh, how am I going to move better to prevent this being a problem in my life? Awesome. All
1: right. Uh, So ladies, remember, we are here to help. If you need any more info on this, if you want any of these references or anything, just um, shoot us a message. You can contact us on facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or on Instagram, so at the wellness women official. Uh, We would love to hear uh from you so we would love to hear stories from any of you who maybe have success stories maybe you were pre-diabetic and you changed your lifestyle or um, maybe you had um, been diagnosed with diabetes and you decided to go down a natural route and heal that yourself we would love to hear what you did we'd love you to share that with our community as well so make sure you jump on there and have a chat to us um and contact us through our website as well so just thewellnesswomen.com.au. Ladies, we hope that this has been informative for you. We hope that you're not joining that statistic um, and, you know, that ill health of our community. We definitely want to keep you out of that. Uh, But ladies, until next week, be well.